Welcome to Mental Health Matters. I am your host, Angela Seaborn. I am on a mission to share my expertise with the world because a healthy mind is a wealthy mind. When we understand, we do not fear. When we do not fear, we accept ourselves and others. When we accept ourselves and others, all the isms that divide and separate us in this world fade away allowing for global bonding. In the spirit of the African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Today, you will learn about gentle mind. Yes, gentle mind. She is going to dig deep into her therapist toolbox to provide techniques that you can start using now to improve your life. And among other things, she will give you strategies on how to dose up on positive thoughts when you need them. Okay, enough with the preamble. Let's look at who we have behind my golden curtain. She is an expert in gentle mind, a registered psychotherapist, a mental health advocate, and a workplace wellness consultant. She helps change lives for anyone who is facing challenges in any stage of their life, be it now or later in their careers or in their personal lives. Through one-on-one counseling, her clients learn how to manage their emotions, remove any barriers that may be holding them back, and to set goals to lead with confidence. She supports mental wellness for Afro-diaspora families and participates on three boards, Fabiola's Addiction and Mental Health Awareness and Support Foundation, or FAMHAS as it's known, Kujenga Family Wellness and Carifica Canada. Lastly, our guest today is a content creator and has published articles on mental wellness and has her own podcast celebrating health and wellness professionals of color. It's called Minds I Like, I have to say I love that name, which is one word and spelled like it sounds. And you can find it on Anchor Podcast. So without further ado, let's pull back the golden curtain and welcome Miss Alethea Kador. Alethea, welcome to the stage. Thanks for good having morning. me and good morning, Dr. Marina. Alethea, before we get started... Here at Rich Woman Magazine, we have a saying, sharing your story changes your story. Perhaps you can tell our audience a piece of your story if you are comfortable doing that. That is. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Angela, for asking. I started in this field a very long time ago, and my interest started in high school. I wanted to become a teacher. And for my final year in grade 12 co-op, I ended up connecting with some teachers that were working with children around the ages of six to eight that had some developmental challenges. And we would communicate with them through sign language and also verbal interactions. I really enjoyed that. And I was thinking, you know what, that's something that I would definitely like to pursue. So I started working part-time at this child guidance clinic and there were social workers that were there. 
and they were supporting families that needed family therapy. And I would work with the little ones and entertain them and play games with them and do some social emotional activities while their parents were in therapy. And the social workers, they would come to me after and just update me on what their group was like. And I thought, wow, that is so interesting. That is something that I would definitely like to do. So when I decided to go to college, I pursued two interests, social work and also child and youth care. And child and youth care really spoke to me at the time of working with young people under the age of 18 that were facing some challenges. And along the way of growing up here and just facing some of the anti-Black racism, but not really understanding it when I was in high school, but then just learning more about myself and who I am and reading Malcolm X and just being around people that were musicians and artists at the time that were finding ways to express themselves and their identity through music, I was able to connect with them, connect with them in terms of their challenges and struggles of growing up as a Black teen here and being an immigrant myself, because I was originally from the UK, but as a child, just growing up around a West Indian and Afro-Caribbean family, we just had different ways of doing things. So I thought, why not bring my culture and who I am into this work and really support people that might be going through challenges? Because at that time for me, things were pretty much relaxed until I started to really realize some of the challenges that we face and that I have faced just being in the system, growing up here, and then also wanting to further my education in teaching, counseling, and just being supportive to people in my community. Thank you for that. You would say that your experiences, as you described, growing up in, in different communities, Mm-hmm. in Toronto. You grew up in Toronto, basically? Yeah, I w- came here at seven years old and then stayed ever since. <laughs> <laughs> My family would travel back and forth and we would also travel to the UK. We would travel back to Grenada so that I could see my family's homeland and where they lived in my extended family because that, that was something important to my family is for us to understand our birthplace, their birthplace, and how they grew up. Yes, I, uh, that's wonderful. So you're a pretty multinational woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say so, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, and your experiences are what kind of, uh, what shaped, it sounds like your experiences helped to shape you it, to doing a lot of the work that you're doing with um, Afro-ethnic communities. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just watching the fact that I was tested gifted at an early age in primary school. So in terms of education, my pathway was a little bit easier for me than my other Black classmates at the time that had come from other countries and they were told that their education wasn't as equivalent to ours and that they needed to go back and repeat some grades where I never experienced that. So I noticed that 
those differences and the challenges that I noticed when they did not have proper support in education. Mm -hmm. And that affects you socially, it affects you emotionally. And I just felt that, hey, I noticed those inequities very early. And I thought, hey, let me try and do something about that. Good for you. And I know this is a little bit off topic, but it's been my experience, because I've worked in education as well, and as child and youth counselors or psychiatric uh, social worker in different settings. And it's been my experience that children from, you know, the Caribbean and other cultures, they are very edu- highly educated. And mm-hmm. especially if they're coming from the British school Absolutely. system mm-hmm. and often are more advanced. So you must have been going off the charts for them to tell you at that time that you're gifted. Yeah, it was amazing for me, but I could see why it was a challenge for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Because I didn't get that stimulation and support throughout high school, where now they have special classes that will continue throughout high school. Mine stopped at grade nine. But yeah. then I was told, you could do this. So you're in advanced classes all the way where mm-hmm. other people did not get that experience. Yeah, and that's unfortunate because in my view, I, I really, I feel confident to say this. In, I, when you were younger in starting school here in the Canadian, well, I say here because Canada is my home country, mm-hmm. in the Canadian system in Toronto, I really don't think they measured, they actually knew what the other countries' education systems were, and they just assumed a lot of things like we often do. And that's what my gut says. And, oh, no, you're coming from another country. Okay, we've got to start you a couple grades lower (laughs) instead of really maybe testing that young person according to a more global scale and et cetera. But like I I said, I'm digressing a little bit. And... Okay, great. Now, I'm wondering, like, when you go back to when you were a little girl, I know you said you've been interested in, like, psychology and those things in high school. But as a little girl, what was your, what did you want to do? Was it in this field? My gosh, everything was about teaching and instructing and relating to people. I just knew that it was going to be one of those three things. Actually, you know, I used to do a lot of performances. My brothers and sisters, we would create little skits and we put on shows. So I was thinking more in the acting realm because we would do full out productions. I remember doing something to Kiss in Greece and (laughs) just familiarizing (laughs) myself with all those things. And then going to school, hip hop came out and most of my friends were Caribbean, so we were going, listening to our parents' cultural music. For us, it was always about just being in the forefront, performing, and um, always doing something to generate some type of interest. So I just thought it would be one of those things. 
That's so funny because as a kid with my sisters, we did the same thing. We used to have these little talent shows and we would perform. And because I was born in Montreal, my introduction was always in French. I'd come in, I thought I was special. Je m'appelle Angela, je suis habite à Toronto, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, (laughs) I think we have a a lot in common there. All righty, so let's get on with... What you do now, and to talk about gentle mind. I love that term, gentle mind. And Alethea, can you explain, you're an expert in gentle mind. Can you explain to our podcast audience, as well as our live audience here, what exactly is gentle mind? For me, and the reason why I talk about having a gentle mind is for us to really just take a pause, assess our situation and our surroundings, and really be gentle with the way that we talk to ourselves, excuse me, the way that we relate to others, and also to really be aware of your thoughts and how they make your body feel. Because I find that the mind, body, and the soul are all interrelated and when one thing is balanced I find that's the first thing that we need to look at is just to pay attention to what our mind is saying what those voices are saying to us and also to just be still so that you can really assess and investigate some of the things that are happening in your life so that you can nurture yourself and just really be kind to yourself. Because you know what? We're going through a pandemic. It's been two years of challenges and I don't think people have realized it because we're just so used to going through the motion of just going and going in our lives. But yeah, it's been two years and there's still more to come. So that's why I always want people to really take notice and nurture themselves a little bit more and really pay attention to their thoughts. Yes. Yeah. You mentioned something that's really important. You said Mm -hmm. we need to slow down and, and, and the clients that come to us, they may outwardly look like they're calm, but inwardly they're spinning and how, what types of exercises or what do you do to help that client to just slow down and get centered? The first thing I do is just really pay attention to how they're coming in and how I'm receiving them. So I try to just assess if there is some dysregulation. You can tell by the pressured speech or you can tell if we're doing a video there might be some preoccupation or some distraction. So the first thing I do is invite my clients to just clear their mind for a bit and also to breathe. And I find that just really centers people and then we can start to unpack what's happening. The second thing that I do is invite them to look at some grounding techniques. And that might be putting your feet on the floor or 
massaging your hands so that you can get some circulation. And also an amazing technique called just stopping and counting things that help you get back into center. Sorry, counting. Can you? Well, the counting, yeah, counting. I find that if you're feeling really anxious or disorganized, it's really hard for you to focus. So the counting, just really, just something like five, four, three, two, and one. Just something quick and short that just gets you focused and centered and ready for you to proceed with the things that you want to talk about so you feel more organized. I get it. I get it. Hopefully I wouldn't do five, four, three, two, one, and then blast off. <laughs> <laughs> well, but no, I, to- I, I do get that. I totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So maybe you can share with us, like in the past, since COVID has started, what kind of struggles are you seeing with clients? I know you mentioned that, you see people video and just so our our listeners know when you say video counseling you're talking about online right virtual counseling yeah online video chat yeah okay so great so what kind of struggles do you see with clients and how does gentle mind help for what i've noticed over the past uh while that i've been in psychotherapy is that people are facing a lot of uncertainty right now, uncertainty about staying or remaining in the job or what's happening for the future. Also, they're looking at concerns with their family. If they have small children or children that are just finishing up in school, there was two years of isolation. And they notice that now that their children are reintegrating into their regular routine, whatever that may be, they're noticing some changes in their stress levels, more anxiety. Some people are really triggered by a lot of loss and change. So they're feeling really sad and they're coming in and they're really concerned about their young person. And the other thing I've noticed is that because we've had a lot of time to sit with ourselves, people are really struggling with their thoughts. And the fact that, number one, we had to do a strict isolation where you couldn't engage or interact with close family members. And for some people, that is their lifeline. That's what makes them feel in community. And having that loss of control, of not being able to see the family when they wanted to. There was a lot of resentment, but there was also a lot of sadness because people were just sitting with themselves and thinking about things that have happened to them in the past, which could have triggered an emotional response, or just thinking about grief and loss of not having the things that they once had that kept them busy. And then there's the other group that found this crisis as an opportunity to make some changes in their life. And then they felt that they had the time because they weren't busy with work. They weren't busy with extracurricular activities. All those things were gone or 
what we said, quarantined. They were locked away for a while. So what did they have left to do but just confront and face some of those things that they were pushing away and not really dealing with because they were avoiding having to face it. And they felt ready to do that now. Yes, yeah, thank you. I I also see that or saw that and continue to see that in my practice. And it's interesting because during COVID, like you said, there are people that are like, okay, they're reevaluating their lives and they're just working, they're like riding the wave, so to speak, instead of trying to resist it, which is all part of healing anyway in anything that we do. However, for others, it's very scary. And suddenly, like they could be an extrovert and they're used to having a lot of people around them and being at work where they identify as... I'm the CEO of this company or I'm this and this, but then they go back home and they're just them. And so whatever the, whatever the issues are, or maybe not issues, but whatever it is that we may be neglecting in our lives, I find floated to the top a bit in our psyches during this time. So it's been, even for people who may believe this time to be, a a difficult time and it is a difficult time but there's also the other side which is with a difficult time there's always an opportunity to make these changes in your life yeah I agree with what you're saying absolutely and I think you mentioned it before when we were talking just about all the isms that Mm -hmm. divide and separate us a lot of things were exposed during COVID and especially when we had the death of George, George Floyd and some other challenges with police brutality and mental health, it really opened people's eyes to a lot of things. And people really started to make some decisions about how they see themselves and also how they see others. And I also had a lot of people coming in and just realizing the impact of racial discrimination and how that affects them and their family. Yes, yeah. And I think that's probably something that we could even maybe talk about again sometime because that whole racism, <clears throat> racism part is, it affects all of our mental health and whether you are of color or not. Of course, people for people of color, it is definitely like... The, the target, so their stress is so much more. But I don't think people realize that when we, when a, a society oppresses any particular population, it's a downfall to everyone in the long run, and it causes problems when it comes to healing and struggling. And as we see now, there's all these divides on Facebook and everything like that. And so I think we've had a lot of things hit us all at once. Like you're saying, we had COVID, we have Black Lives Matters, which I 100% support. And then we have your Me Too movement. So there's a lot of upheaval. But once the dust settles up, we need to destroy somehow, create a, a a stirring or an upheaval in order to break a mold and make the change. So 
I'm glad that you're doing what you're doing. And I'd love to talk to you maybe again on our podcast about that topic. Absolutely. Sure. And what we say, especially in our counseling uh, realm, is that out of crisis becomes opportunity. And that opportunity is to make a change. I can see that transformative process for people. And that's what I help them with, is to help them get through that change. It could be very painful for people. It could be very liberating for others. So that's what I do. I try to support them and set those realistic goals. So then they end up transforming and leading through that confidence again and back to just being their authentic selves. Absolutely. Yes, it's a real fine balance, isn't it, when these things happen? It's, it could go like walking this really uh, tight tightrope almost with a fine balance where things can go one way or the other. And it, it depends on how well you keep yourself in check, in balance, so to speak. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just want people to know, and I think you always share this, Angela, on your podcast, that we're not alone. And people have had these experiences in the past. And it's always nice to look back and see how we got through it. Every day is a different day of change. So yes, one day might not be that great. But I always try to be hopeful and optimistic that we can make those changes when we need to. But we need to do it with support. And we need to do it through community. I agree. And I think it's our responsibility as psychotherapists, as advocates, as helpers in the world, that we maintain hope for our clients. Mm -hmm. Because if we can't, then we're not doing them any. If you're not hopeful in your own belief and how to help your client, then it's you're not going to you're going to do harm. You're not going to help. So I think hope is very important. And I'm glad you mentioned it. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you something. I thought maybe we could try this little experiment, like for the listeners. Maybe if we could do a little role play here, take a few minutes, and I could be a client of yours. And let's say we're in a session, and I'll, I'll pick a common issue many people struggle with today. So let's say motivating myself to exercise more. And that's just part of it. We know clients won't come to therapy and just say, I'm having problems motivating myself to exercise. There's a lot of other stuff. But that's, they often come with a few things that we help them one at a time with these issues. So now let's say I'm sharing with you, I can't exercise anymore. And I tell you, prior to COVID, I, I I belonged to a gym, but now I must exercise at home and I can't seem to motivate myself to do so let's, let me just jump right in and start the role play. You ready? Sure. Okay. Oh, Alethea, I just, I don't know why I'm so lazy. I used to love going to the gym. Oh my gosh. I share the same experience as you. Wow. I just want to congratulate you though. It's been so many years of having these challenges and you still try to maintain a schedule. Wow. How do you manage that? With exercise, I haven't really. I, I Maybe I'm one week I might do really well and then go for three weeks without it at all. 
And you know, so I, I don't know why I'm, I've become lazier. You have to really be gentle with yourself and just congratulate yourself. And that's why I was mentioning it. The fact that you were able to do something during this time is amazing. And when you have been on your routine and you're trying your best, what does that look like? I know before COVID, you said you were going pretty regularly. How often was that? I would go before work. I'd go get up and I'd go in the morning to the gym, work out, and I'd feel really good. And then I would get to the office and I would work. So I probably went at about four times a week at least, sometimes five, depending on what I had going on. But that was part of my routine. It just became the thing. And then suddenly everything changed and I wasn't, and I'm not able to, I don't, I don't know why I can't do the same thing, but at home, I, I, I don't know why that is. Obviously, we're in a different environment and it sounds to me like you're working from home now. Yes. So when you looked at the hour of the time that you were exercising before COVID, can you recall what time that was? You said it was after work. No, it was before work. It was before work. So I I would start work at nine. I'd get up at, you know, six, head out the door, work out. And then I'd leave the gym about 8.30 and I'd be at work on time. Yep. Nice. And what time do you notice that you're getting up now that you're at home? That's a good question because I used to be getting up early, but now I'm, it's more like eight. And I used to, so I, I, I've, change that do you think I should have kept maybe I should keep that time what I've noticed for people that were used to having a commute and they no longer have that because now they're at home they've changed and reframed the way that they see work and that they see things that they used to do that used to give them pleasure they've removed that too so I just wanted to find out from you what would happen if set your alarm for maybe half an hour, 45 minutes earlier. How do you think that that would change the way that you show up to work now? What? Am I actually, I think just (laughs) to be honest with you, just to get up that little bit earlier, I would probably feel good about getting up that little bit earlier. Whether or not I'll work out, I don't know. But I do know that it would probably, I would probably feel better about myself for just getting up at that time. So.
validate feelings. And then based on those feelings, sometimes there's a behavior attached to it, whether it's good or bad. It just reinforces what we think. And then when we have that catastrophizing, mind reading, just that whole whirlwind of emotions, sometimes there's a behavior that gets displayed through our actions. It could be something verbal. It could be something physical that lets people know that we need some help or we're just harming ourselves by the words and the behaviors and the actions that we're displaying. So I tell people that, yes, you could be in your feelings about a situation or an event, but we really need to remove that emotional reaction that causes us to spin and just to have that negative loop all the time, which reality is you're harming yourself. And if you say that you no longer want to harm yourself by, I hate that word, but we're just going to, by beating up on ourselves. And you know what that means in terms of. Yeah, I hate that word too. Uh, but but we do that, but it's yeah. different. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just, I'm into this visualization. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm the punching bag and someone's just <laughs> going at it with their gloves on me. So mm -hmm. then I say to myself, like, why do we want to continue putting ourselves through that? Because you know what happens with that punching bag? It wears down. Person gets exhausted and then we're so depleted and drained. So this is when I say to people, okay, let's just stop. Let's do our grounding techniques when it's emotional dysregulation, which means that your emotions all over the place and it's hard for you to focus. Then what's that acronym, that saying that we could say to ourselves that just keeps us slowed down in our thoughts. And the first thing to me is to be aware of what those thoughts are saying. What are those negative words? What are those actions that are changing your behavior? And then we really need to start challenging ourselves. And I think you also mentioned this, Angela, like, and this is one of the latest books that are out right now. What's happening to me? Why am I reacting in the way that I am emotionally? Why am I having these negative thoughts? What is that barrier that's causing me to feel this way? I feel it in my body. I feel it in my gut. I'm having a headache. So these are some signs, right, that we really need to pay attention to. What is it right now in our current situation, in our current reality, that we're finding it hard to face? And then this is when we have to start really being gentle with ourselves, when we start acknowledging and investigating where that pattern of behavior is coming from. Did we not resolve a conflict? Is it too upsetting to be in this situation right now? Am I in jeopardy of losing a relationship because I'm not able to say what I need to say? Am I concerned that the relationship might be affected because I have to say something? So a lot of these things and thoughts are playing in our mind. And this is when we need to just stop and just pay attention to what's around us and start giving ourselves some gratitude.
and start giving ourselves some compassion and just say, okay, it's all right. What do we do when we're, our, our children are crying? We, we don't want them to feel hurt. So we'll do whatever we can to give them some compassion, to demonstrate some empathy. So my question is, then why can't we show that to ourselves? Yes, yeah, I agree. And sometimes I find with, uh, with people who, sometimes people cannot, they don't, they're not thought people. They just, they don't, they're not aware necessarily of their thoughts, but they know what they're feeling. This episode is sponsored by MTN Press. MTN Press is the publishing house behind niche publications like Rich Human, Sovereign, and the Quantum of Light magazines, all British brands with a global reach. They deliver the good news straight to the desk of decision makers, the CEOs, presidents, CFOs, consultants, investors, influencers, bankers, PR agencies, heads of global operations, to name just a few. They also offer specialized support through a range of bespoke services, tools, and systems to help publishers like you grow both their presence and business. Whether you are running a blog, a niche magazine, or thinking to start one, their expert knowledge in the world of publishing can give you the tools and the expertise and the confidence you need to succeed. Check them out at mtnpress.co.uk or find Follow the link in the episode description.